You know, the Church of Jesus Christ has been under attack for centuries, just takes different forms in each new generation. An announcement on the April 3rd, 2012 cover of Newsweek magazine read, Forget Church, Just Follow Jesus. And the picture on the cover depicted an image that was dubbed the hipster Jesus. It was simply an attempt to do something that people have been doing for 2,000 years, and that is remaking Jesus into what we want him to be instead of who he really is. The basic argument against the church is summed up in this one statement, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. And basically, there are those in our culture today who are saying that Christianity would be fine without the church. What Jesus is teaching is fine because, after all, he was a good moral teacher. But I don't want to be part of that group called the church. They accuse church people of speaking about biblical things, but not doing them. They talk about church people as selfish and hypocritical, and they want to take parts about Jesus that they like and forget the rest. I believe that one of the biggest challenges today is helping our children's and grandchildren's generation see the importance of the church. It's important that they see a group of people who are flawed, who don't always get it right, and know that that's okay. Because I think Christ intended the church to be a place where flawed people come to learn to love God and love others. And then when certain criticisms come up that are justified, they also see that there's something valuable about this group called the church. Growing up, I can't remember a time when I wasn't in church. Our family was there every time the doors were open. My folks were involved serving in a variety of ways, and my spiritual life, as well as my social life in the 1960s, was formed around the church, whether it was worship or youth group or vacation Bible school or other church events. You also might have a history of your family being in church. You might have family around you even here tonight. For some of us, when our family gets together, church is a part of what we do. But for others, this is a tough and touchy subject. Maybe for you, it's difficult to come to church and think of those who are not here. Some of us have kids and grandkids that have made a conscious decision not to be in church. And it's difficult when we think back on conversations we've tried to have with family members and they just don't accept what we're trying to say to them. Maybe you have family members who were once active in church, but something happened, whether it's something that happened at church that drove them away or something that in life that drove them away. Whatever the case may be, they're not in church anymore. I hope that you will tune into this message tonight and that there's something worthwhile for each of us as we look together at the relationship of family and church. It may be just a reminder that even though things are not always the way we like them to be, there are things that we can do to draw ourselves and others closer to God. But here's the first thing I'd like us to know, and that is that the church is like a family. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, even before he made the world. Now, I love this sentence, and I don't know, I've read this a hundred times, I've never really read it. And this jumped out at me like it did this, this week. 
even before he made the world. Now think about that. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Paul uses the picture of the church as family several times in his letters, and he refers to the church in terms of the family of God or the household of God, and it seems a reasonable image for us as well as we try to understand the role of the church, its necessity for both our benefit and betterment as followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul even uses uh, an extended passage in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 to illustrate the interaction of church and family. Now I want us to remember as we hear this passage that originally there were no chapter and verse designations and divisions in the original biblical language. Uh, We don't write letters or emails with chapter and verse divisions today and neither did the Apostle Paul then. So the end of Ephesians chapter five and the beginning of chapter six make up a complete section of thought and purpose. Hear what he says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on this earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, sometimes I've heard this passage read at weddings. Maybe you have as well. Sometimes I've heard it used in sermons to try and somehow prove something about the role of a husband and wife in marriage. But the passage is so much more than that. St. Paul gives us some important family principles in this passage that apply to the church. After all, Paul says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Everything in this passage of scripture hinges on two concepts, submission 
and love. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here he uses the word submit to mean placing under or putting under. And when we look at this idea of submission, notice where it all starts and where it has to remain. Say it with me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not because the other person deserves it. It's not because another person is better than you or more powerful than you. It's not because another person has it all together and you don't. We're told here that it's because we care about Jesus. Because we care about God, submit to one another. We need to put our desires under the desires of others. Think of others as better than yourselves. Have you ever thought about the church in the sense of a healthy marriage and what that's supposed to look like. You know, marriage is a lot of give and take, isn't it? Which means that one spouse shouldn't get their way all the time. Each person within the marriage is trying to make sure that the other person is happy and fulfilled. So what if we looked at church from that perspective? What if church became more about someone else's needs than my needs? The word translated love here is the same word that recurs over and over again in our study of what a healthy church involvement looks like, and it's the word agape, meaning selfless or sacrificial kind of love. We're told in Colossians chapter 3 by the Apostle Paul again, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now notice the important ways that we submit to one another and love one another in our families, and in the church. We treat each other respectfully, we watch out for each other, and we forgive each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we're going to add three more important ways to submit to one another and to show love for one another. We're going to meet together. Meet together. We're going to encourage each other. And we're going to support each other. So here's the challenge. How do we lead a church family into being a healthy, participating body of Christ? Let me suggest four ways. First, we pray together. 
we, encur- we are encouraged to pray for one another. Pray for the church. Pray for its leaders. Pray for each other. And if we're going to talk about the church when we're at home, we need to do it in a positive way and be lifting it up with prayer instead of talking it down with criticism. It's easy to let our homes become places of criticism of God's church. We must be careful because our children and our grandchildren are listening to our words. And while some things are said and kept in confidence, our words also have the potential to distort the reality of the church's purpose in the minds of those who are listening. Part of the opportunity and the honor of being part of a church family is teaching our families to love the church. When is the last time you prayed for the church as a family instead of venting about a certain situation? When was the last time you lifted the church and its leadership and its people before God? Teaching our family often begins by praying for the church where God has placed us. But secondly, we also worship together. If this is our church home, we are called to encourage and lead our family to worship together. And if we're married, it's always best if we can include our spouse. If we're a parent, it's best if we can include our children. I realize that getting the whole family here in today's culture may not always be possible. But that's the ideal. Our family must see our love for the church. And if we're single with no immediate family, we can still set an example for others to follow. It's entirely possible that our family just might be our mission field. Every member of our immediate family or extended family needs to know how much God loves them. And you just might be God's missionary in their lives. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. And the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, and now they are holy. But if a husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Now, if you're in a marriage or a relationship that is one-sided in faith, how do you know whether you will be that influence in the life of your partner that will ultimately lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been trying to reach them and you're frustrated because you think they're not paying any attention. But I encourage you not to give up because it's there somewhere in the back of their mind. Keep praying, keep serving, keep watering the seed that you've planted. Just don't be pushy. Just keep them mindful that you do what you do because of Jesus and because of your commitment to the church. 
Make being in church a priority. Set the example for your spouse, for your partner, for your children, for your grandchildren. Whether you're single or married or have children or no children, we can all make church the priority. There are people who are watching us and our example may lead them to make Christ a priority in in their lives as well. Either way, we will be establishing an important discipline in our own life. Now third, healthy churches have realistic expectations. Church is a family. That means that there are people in church who will frustrate you. Unless your family's a whole lot different than mine, there are family members out there who will frustrate you. Am I right? Church is family. There are ups and downs. And my guess is someone in your own family has been less than perfect over the last month or even the last year. Someone hasn't done what they said they were going to do or did something they shouldn't have done. Why should we expect things to be any different here? No family member is perfect. Not everyone who comes to this church is perfect. No church leader is perfect. And guess what? You're not perfect either. We all need to practice the wisdom of Jesus in Matthew 7 where he said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you with get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Have realistic expectations. We strive to see the kingdom of God here on earth, but we're not there yet. There are black sheep in every family. There are people who draw a hard line in the sand and those who step over the line, you know, wait for someone to step over the line just to see the response. So begin by looking at ourselves, not at others. And then last, we join together for service. What if you were to involve yourself or your kids or your grandkids in works of ministry and service to others? Serving others teaches us important lessons about selflessness and about the needs of other people. Service puts a tangible experience to our expressions of faith and belief. Serving others because it's a moral thing to do or out of compassion is important, but that's just a place to start. Serving as an expression of our faith is something else entirely. Serving Christ in the world as an expression of our faith is a living witness to the world around us. Not only should our motivation for serving be aligned with Christ, but our actions carry our witness of Christ into the world. We all know that our actions speak louder than words. Our physical work for Christ is the tangible evidence of our belief that families and friends and our community and our world will see. But one thing that we can be sure of, and that is that Jesus loves the church. The Bible says that we are his bride. So remember, as a participating part of a local church, we're not merely to like the church. We are not merely to serve the church. We are to fall deeply in love with the church. 
Our commitment is to love the bride of Christ with an unwavering and unconditional love. But unconditional love is not easy, is it? If someone is perfect and meets our every need, it's easy to to say that we love that person, but that kind of love is one way. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. Unconditional love means that we're going to continue to fall more deeply in love with, with God and with Jesus and with the church regardless of what kind of response we get from people around us. It means that our love for the church will grow even when we may disagree with something or go up against a disagreeable person. And as we grow more deeply in love with our church, we will do all we can in God's power to bring others around us with us. We will pray for our church leaders, we'll worship together, we'll serve together, and if we get discouraged or discontent with our church, we will remind ourselves that unconditional love is not easy. But we'll also remind ourselves that unconditional love has been perfectly demonstrated for us. His name is Jesus. He loves us, sins and all, so much that he died on a cross for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Because of Jesus' example of love, we too can know and can understand the reality of that kind of love. Love so great it was willing to sacrifice. Love so great it was willing to submit. Love so amazing it was willing to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Love so divine, Jesus was willing to lay down his life for all of us. Throughout this series, we've been doing this pledge at the end of the message, and tonight we're going to close with another pledge in a moment, and um, it's just a pledge to love as Jesus loves. Um, You don't have to respond to this pledge. You don't have to say it. I'm just going to, I'm going to read it. If you'd like to join your voices with mine and say, I'm going to take this pledge, feel free to uh, say this along with me. Here goes. I am a part of this congregation. I will make every effort to be faithful to Christ, to his church, and to lead others to be involved with me. I will pray for the church. I will be in worship regularly. I will serve my church. And I will ask Christ to help me fall deeper in love with Jesus because he gave his life for me and for his body, the church. Pray with me, will you? God of all grace and love, we are your church. We are your bride. And tonight we pledge to live into that calling to pray and to worship and to serve in your name. So let us see our union with your son, Jesus Christ, for what it is. It's the greatest gift, the most amazing relationship we could ever receive. Thank you for Jesus, who came to save us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.